Have you ever wished that Star Wars was just a little bit more like Game of Thrones? Star Wars is not that nerdy. No, Star Wars is not that nerdy. Are you putting the final touches on your cosplay as we ramp up for convention season? Nerd alert! Are you listening to the Black Panther album on repeat when you're not listening to this show right here? You are such a nerd. If you can answer any of those questions, then this is the show for you. This is the Northwest Nerd Podcast, where nerd is an inclusive term. My name is Nick Jaren. And I am fully functional and programmed in multiple techniques. At least that's what it says on my dating profile, Dyer Oxley. <laughs> on the show today, we start off with some news, including the Game of Thrones showrunners landing their very own Star Wars Trilogy, a ticket bot crackdown right here in Washington State, and some upvotes, downvotes from Dyer and I on a slew of new trailers and shows coming up. After the news, Dyer's feature story this week is a long look at nerd love. We are going to have a panel of perspectives, a few different ways to look at geek and dating issues. After that, no quiz this week as Dyer will interview some members of the Seattle police about cosplay and their role in things as the Emerald City is transformed by people in costumes on convention weekends that are coming up soon. And finally, that will lead us into a discussion about a convention coming up this weekend in the Tri-Cities and the controversial way that they've handled their cosplay dress code. In case you missed it last week, our roundtable episode with Dan McKeon on cryptocurrency was, I thought, quite illuminating. If you've read articles about Bitcoin or other cryptos and you still don't really get it, go give a listen to our discussion with Dan last week. I thought it helped a lot. And don't forget, coming up on March 2nd, speaking of cosplay, Northwest Nerd is throwing another cosplay contest and after party during the weekend of Emerald City Comic Con. It'll be at the Raygun Lounge on March 2nd. That's the Friday of that weekend. Prizes furnished by Tap Plastic, Pacific Fabrics, Outsider Comics, and Pink Gorilla. We also have some excellent judges this time around as well. Miss Miniver, Valoria Solo, and Tai Tai Cosplay, our original contest winner. Sign up is officially open now. You can find a link to the Google form for it on the event page on Facebook. Just search for NW Nerd on Facebook and it'll pop up. Space is limited for how many uh, people we're going to accept into the contest. So make sure you register ASAP and read the uh, quick set of rules that we have beforehand to make sure you're signing up correctly. No group signups. Uh, everyone is an individual, etc., etc. All the rules right there on the event page. All right. Let's start as we always do with our magazine episodes with the news. I am hyped up for the news today because we have a ton to get to. So we're going to do two stories kind of up front that we'll give a little bit more time to. And then we're going to do just a a quick thumbs up, thumbs down to like eight more stories. There's so much out there right now. A Northwest nerd first. What I like to call the up down. (laughs) The up down. We're doing up downs. The up down with Northwest nerd. All right. Let's start with uh, the perfect combination of franchises that I love. Uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss have been announced by the uh, by Lucasfilm that they will be taking on their own trilogy of Star Wars movies and uh, I'm I'm here for it. For, first off, who are these people? Yeah, so David Benioff and DB Weiss are the showrunners for Game of Thrones. They've oh. been at the helm for every single season of Game of Thrones and I think that the work there kind of speaks for itself. Um, they've been really good at adapting some things, really good at uh, changing book things into TV things and being able to tell that story in that medium instead even when the book is so good that sometimes you just want to rip things directly from there but um, they've also handled some things unevenly um, so that's that's my that's where I was going with this is yeah. two things one are we about to get the most confusing uh, woven storylines in Star Wars history ever <laughs> and are we essentially going to get you know Game of Thrones style action and I mean the the Here's adult action for. that we get from Game of Thrones in a Star Wars film. Yeah, I think that it's not going to be rated R. That's just not yeah. what Star Wars and Lucasfilm are doing. Um, this also, to be clear, is going to be separate from the trilogy that Ryan Johnson, the director from uh, the Last Jedi, is these are the side well. trilogies, yeah. right? When we get Solo, it's and a non Skywalker yeah. one. It's not. It's not one of the anthology series. Uh, standalone movies like Solo or Rogue One, those are a different thing. So as now well. it's a to- okay. So, so there's how like is this four different? different threads going on with Star Wars. Let's they get into that real quick, and then, and then we'll then we'll get into what I think uh, uh, Benioff and Weiss can do with this thing. So we have the ongoing Skywalker numbered episodes, basically. That's uh, the 
episodes one through six, which were the ones that existed before The Force Awakens, and then uh, seven, The Force Awakens, eight, The Last Jedi, and then a ninth one coming up probably next year, I think. Yeah, we have um, Solo, then another one. Yeah, probably uh, next year, 2019, we'll wrap up that third trilogy of kind of the the prime storyline of Star Wars. Yeah. Besides those, we have the anthology series standalone movies, which include Rogue One, which is just kind of one shot at a thing that happened in the Star Wars universe. It's not necessarily going to have a sequel, although in this case it leads right up to episode four, A New Hope. Yeah. Um, and then you have uh, Solo as well, which is another one of the anthology uh, Star Wars stories where On Solo it Origins. feeds into yeah. some of the other stuff, but I think that it seems highly unlikely that this one will lead directly into A New Hope since this story is being told, uh, the Solo story, is going to be told back when uh, Han Solo and Chewie were still pretty new to knowing each other. And you got a young Lando played by yeah. Donald Glover in Ho- there. Hopefully be we, we get that backstory of like, you know, it's like, well, he can't still be mad at me. So maybe we'll find out exactly <laughs> what happened Yeah, there. I want to know why it took Han Solo so long to try out that crossbow, man. It looks sweet. And he didn't use it until Force Awakens. But anyway, we're getting off track. Um, so then we have beyond the... Uh, Episode 9, which is going to be, I believe, done by J.J. Abrams. That's going to wrap up the Ray Kylo Ren trilogy. Because after that, we have a Ryan Johnson trilogy that's not going to follow any Skywalkers. It's going to explore some some unannounced portion of the Star Wars universe. And then uh, also we'll have another trilogy by Benioff and Weiss, which will be another separate story within the Star Wars universe as well. I think like this is the and then Hollywood will be available to make other movies again. Yeah, it's, it's all going to be Marvel and uh, Star Wars it's movies. Gonna, yeah. It's all this going to be. Wow. Yeah. Um. You know, related to this, we also did have that solo trailer. Yeah, we're going to get out. into that in a second, though. So Benioff and Weiss. What I'm hoping for here, as someone who regularly says that I think Game of Thrones will go down as the greatest TV show of all time, I'm hoping that they do what makes Game of Thrones great. So Game of Thrones does things on another production level and just epic level than anything else on TV has ever done. And that's part of what makes it so great. You have these magnificently choreographed uh, in terms of storytelling as well, these battles where you have so much going into them, both emotionally and uh, financially, financially and, (laughs) uh, and politically within the story of the, the show as well. And that's what I'm hoping for here. Like they need, they need a Peter Dinklage type guy to anchor this whole thing and be the uh, the guy who says that history is made by uh, by great conversations in huge rooms or whatever yeah. whatever the line is from yeah. uh, season four, and that's what I'm hoping for from this thing because what they've done so well with George R. R. Martin's material in Game of Thrones is take it from a place where it can be incredibly Byzantine and make it at least followable enough that they can tell six different stories within an hour of television and keep all those threads running and keep those plates spinning and keep the momentum moving forward that entire time. That's their gift. I think that if they can do that in a film and then two more beyond it, I'm I'm very encouraged by this. I think that they're great voices to take this on. Well, they, what they've essentially have a talent in doing and only going off of Game of Thrones is taking something terribly niched and mm-hmm. Star Wars is still niche. You still have people being like, oh, I don't want to go see a Star Wars film. No. Even though like they're made I'd, for I'm everybody. I'm going to push way back on that because Force Awakens and Last Jedi are like no, no, in the huge. top 10 of I work across earnings. from people in my office. Force that are Awakens like, made more money than any other movie it. ever, didn't it? Uh, sure, why not? I think I it passed. I did definitely passed Avatar. But I still, I no, I've still run into people that, are, that, that do this thing where it's like, no, I don't like Star Wars films. Now, to be fair, yeah. though, you work with an older crowd well, there you go. We can't just put like an okay. Point being is they take something yeah. that's like totally niched, <laughs> and then bring it to a wider audience. And so, yeah, maybe through this, not having a Skywalker trilogy, not having something that is you know just essentially what we already know, and then bring Star Wars to something that's new, which is kind of what these in a minute, what these in between movies have been doing with Rogue One and what we hope they do with Solo is do something different with Star Wars that is kind of a new entry point. People I know that eventually saw Rogue One and in this crowd, for whatever reason, they saw Rogue One was like, I was not expecting that. Why didn't why hasn't Star Wars been like that this whole time? Yeah. 
and which is what I'm kind of hoping with Solo, because I don't know the impressions you got from that trailer, but I get another impression. It's we're going to do something different with Star Wars. It's a little more dangerous because everybody knows who Han Solo is. But this this is going to be a different Star Wars than what you may be expecting. I wholeheartedly disagree with that. I think that Solo that? looks like the most straightforward, like, this is just a Star Wars movie. You're welcome. I, f- I feel like Solo's... It's Han, Chewie, and the Falcon oh, yeah, no, no. hanging out and doing hijinks. Like, that is Star Wars. Well, no, no, we know that. But I got two, two main takeaways from watching this trailer. The Solo trailer, uh, one... Um, as you pointed out to me earlier before we recorded, doesn't have much solo in it, and that I think frightens you and everybody else because of all the background press we've heard. Yeah. Um, two, uh, but the two takeaways I got is one, they're setting up a whole new type of film genre layered over Star Wars, which is what we had with Rogue One. Rogue One, we had Band of Brothers essentially doing Star Wars, that kind of thing. Um, More like Dirty Dozen. Dirty Dozen, right? The, the, those kind of like. Spoiler alert: They all die. Yeah. Well, okay. Very good point. Um, <laughs> uh, so there, there's that. In this case, they're doing kind of like Italian Job, Ocean's Eleven. That you know, I'm putting together a crew type yeah. thing. Heist movie. Yeah. Layered over that again, another Blade Runner influence because the world, cin- cinematically and visually, the world that I'm seeing in this trailer, I've never seen in Star Wars before. Really? Because I think that this one stylistically plays most closely to the Star Wars Bible. Really? Because they it made looks the Falcon like, cleaner and stuff because it's happening decades earlier. But I'm, for the most part, it looks like Star I'm Wars. mainly talking about the cities. I've never really seen a city like this, and it looks mm. like Blade Runner. It looks like, yeah, when we're doing a Coruscant chase, it looks does. like Blade Runner. What's that? Coruscant. Well, yeah. but that's The planet like, that is a city, like, that looks like Blade yeah, Runner. Yeah, but, like, even get... in, like, The Last Jedi, when we saw, like, the gambling city, we've always seen kind of, like, these very... That was original. Like, the Monaco-looking one? Yeah, that was like, original. We, we've always seen, like, these very kind of original, like, village-type-looking things, or they're out in a desert. And every now and then, maybe we see a city, but even in, like, the prequels when we saw cities, they were still very fantastical Mm -hmm. this looked like when somebody makes a future la you know (laughs) and and that's what we're looking at which i'm looking forward to because having some sort of based in reality like i feel like i could actually go there someday Mm -hmm. if you put me in a time capsule and i'd show up there um as opposed to the prequel cities which just look disgusting um yeah I'm, i'm i'm looking more forward to that so essentially i feel like there is a new sense coming to these films Solo is going to give us a new take, a new angle, a new vision on Star Wars, even though it is these characters we know, Chewie, yeah. Solo, and, and and Lando. But yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, we'll give a little bit more take on Solo in a second. But the other thing that I'm really hoping we get from Benioff and Weiss in a Star Wars trilogy is what has been lacking, I think, from uh, the new trilogy, which is the politics of why all of this conflict is even happening. Which is why I was saying I hope that there's a Tyrion basically in their uh, in their trilogy. Like that's the Star Diplomat is something that we haven't gotten from Star Wars really, yeah. except in backstory, like finding out that like Padme is a good diplomat and yeah. that's just kind of taken on word. Or Princess Leia is a is a yeah. great diplomat and that's just taken on word. We never see them actually politic or get to get into these backroom dealings and stuff well, like that. Well, that's what they tried that's to do with that's the what prequels. I want with the new ones. But the prequels just failed at yeah. Well, they failed at everything. But well, they failed also because you would just have like Emperor Palpatine or whatever he was called back then, Chancellor Palpatine, just walking yeah. around in a completely CGI room. Yeah. And when it's that boring to look at, yeah, it's kind of hard to. Whereas follow the Game politics. of Thrones goes to an island, and not even that. Take us Star to Malta. Wars: Last yeah. Jedi actually goes to an island yeah. and films it. So just give us. Something tangible, anyway. but no, so you bring the very, politics very good point. to the Star yeah. Wars. That's what I want from the Benioff and Weiss trilogy. Um, up next in the news, before we get into the quick hits, which will include uh, our upvote, downvote on the solo yeah. trailer, let's get into the uh, the Washington State Attorney General cracking down on a Massachusetts man for what? I'm going to read you just just to set this up. I'm going to read you the three. First paragraphs off the press release from the Attorney General's office, Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson. Um, This came out last week. Attorney General Bob Ferguson today announced that two Massachusetts-based ticket-buying companies will pay Washington State $60,000 for using ticket-bought software. And this is a violation of Washington's Ticket Sellers Act. So essentially... Find My Tickets LLC and Box Office Pros LLC. They are both owned by a guy named Taylor Kurth. 
He used ticket bots to complete hundreds of transactions in Washington state, um, which essentially bought up tickets for the Paramount Theater, CenturyLink, Safeco, the Key Arena, um, for concerts like Beyonce, uh, jo- Justin Bieber, uh, Adele, and Mariners games. And then he w- turned around and resold those tickets for 30 to $200 more than the original price. It's essentially... Essentially taking, you know, you, whatever is a popular ticket and putting technology behind it. You know, you can instead of just one person doing this, you could do this hundreds of times. So over. By the way, very simple technology like ticket buying bots are some of the it's one of the yeah. oldest scourges of buying things online yeah. is bots that will go in there and get it faster because they're automated and don't have to click around on the screen like a human does. And you already just you already you already got it in the word. I, I didn't even have the the paragraph out and you're like despicable yeah. or whatever. So what, what you Dude, you, bots are terrible because here's the magic of the internet is that it democratizes power, right? Mm-hmm. And part of that magic is also increasing accessibility for people. Um, you're able to see places and read things from people and perspectives that you wouldn't be able to without the internet. Now this ideal should also extend to fairness in buying things, um, especially if you're someone who actually lives in Seattle and wants to go see uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar, for example, at Key Arena or whatever. I'm making up a show because okay. I don't know if he's actually coming. Um, Is that your shout out to Kendrick Lamar come to Key Arena? Well, I'm actually going to go see him in Vancouver. Okay. All right. In a couple <laughs> <months>. <laughs> I, I think there is a Seattle show, but I just didn't get tickets to that one. But yeah, so say you're a Seattle person, you want to go see this Kendrick Lamar show and you go onto the website, you know when the tickets are going to open up for sale and you get on there and you're like, oh, I can only get nosebleed tickets or I can go to the secondary market and pay even more and get the ticket that I actually want from somebody who swooped in there with an automated uh, uh, bot, basically, uh, going in there and swooping up the ticket before me and then it it gets it gets marked up 50, 100% mm-hmm. just for me to go to the show. Now, tie this also into the fact that, okay, if you can sell those tickets for that price, why isn't the artist selling it for that price as yeah. well? And there is also an accessibility uh, argument to be made by the artist as well. If I'm Kendrick Lamar, which would be awesome, um, I could sell my tickets for $200 a piece for whatever section of stuff, or I could do 60 and decide... I want to get a certain group in there. I know that a lot of my fans can't pay $200 for a ticket. That's ridiculous. I'm going to keep it down because I'm making my money off this show anyway because I'm packing in an arena. So where is that extra $140 going? It's going to the person who wrote a very simple script and scooped up this ticket before you could humanly possible buy that ticket. They don't deserve that money. Like that's that's unearned money to me. They don't deserve to make that markup money. And it's deeply unfair to both the artist who isn't getting any of that money from what they could be selling their ticket for, but usually idealistically um, are not selling it for those prices. And two, it's unfair to the people who actually live near these venues who want to go view this live art performance and have to pay through the nose to do it. So let me throw this at you. Deeply unfair. Um, what is the difference between somebody who just leverages technology, which you know happens every generation or so? What's the difference between that guy and the the guys that are just on the street corner, like, hey, you need tickets, you need tickets, or better yet, we've got Emerald City Comic Con coming up. We know there's going to be guys right in front of the center going like, I've got Friday, I've got Saturday, mm-hmm. or whatever, and like you know selling and buying stuff. I mean, kind of, what's the difference between the guy on the computer who's just doing it from his desk versus the guys that are out on the street? Um. Access and the power dynamic that's usually at play here because you think about the types of people who have the skill to uh, write a ticket buying bot. That's not the same person who's out there on the corner scalping tickets because they're like, well, I have Saturday off. I'm going to go make some scratch scalping tickets. That person to me is much different than the person who sets up a bot to buy something and then just checks on their computer hours later without stressing out about buying these tickets like the people who actually want to go to the show. And then go and sell them for even more. Like I also that's, like that's, com- that's a completely different power dynamic. I also like haggling with the people in the street too. That's <laughs> you don't get to do that with a bot. I did once get five dollars more while selling my pass after I left the Comic Con, <laughs> which was great. Well, that was the thing. Yeah, I, I, I've never done that. I have. I don't know if we're admitting to illegal stuff now or not. I don't know how legal hey, that they is. They can't prove anything. That's right. Um, there's no paper trail of when I decreased my, I guess, my hit on that. I think I sold it for half as much or something yeah. that was out there. 
Um, okay, interesting. Very interesting. I guess in the point, um, though, I'm not sure versus how much this guy made off of all these tickets, but he's definitely going tens of thousand dollars yeah. in fines now to Washington. And this is just Washington. I don't think Washington is the only one with this law. And no, so, a few other states do, but not enough. Oh, I, I get it, but also, like, yeah, I'm never going to a Bieber concert, so I, I guess that's maybe why I never saw this. Now, if, if somebody came along and uh, and was like... A bot scooped up all the tickets to, uh, 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 to Purple Rain. What's the name of that Prince cover band you like? Uh, Erotic City. If they, there you if go. They, all the tickets to Erotic City, or if they came and did all the tickets to Life During Wartime. Life During Wartime. There would, would be there, there would be a wartime. There would be blood. There would be there will be blood. <laughs> all right. Um, let's get into the quick upvote downvote. Okay. For uh, the up down, as you're calling it, we'll see if that name sticks. Actually, uh, listeners out there, Facebook, tweet us yeah. uh, what you think the name of this segment should be because it might be something that we come back to, especially as yeah. we get into the spring and summer when nerd news starts coming way quicker than it was in uh, December the and winter, January. Yeah. Uh, we'll try to do more of these really quick roundups. So, ready? FX's Legion is coming back April 3rd. Um, I'll go first since I care more about this show than you do. <laughs> this show is excellent. It is one of the best things on television if it weren't for Game of Thrones. And uh, if you haven't caught up, but you have access to Hulu, a Hulu account, anyone's Hulu account, Dyer's Hulu account, uh, (laughs) I highly encourage you to go and watch season one. It's up on there right now, and you will not be disappointed. This is a show that is so detail-oriented and story-oriented and uh, does really creative things with perspective and color and sound and it's just such a marvel that we get to have this thing on tv and i'm excited they even got a season two it has one of the best villains in comic book tv and uh i I yield the floor to you now dar well do you give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down oh yeah thumbs up sorry i give it a thumbs up um i i a a less speedy thumbs up because i need to finish the first season so oh, so this is especially good for you because now you're like, oh, I need to wrap now this I up. Get it. Yeah, there's just too much stuff to watch. But yeah, yeah, thumbs up. That's not that's not hard for me. Yeah. Did you get to the chalkboard scene? You didn't. I Ooh, okay. Yeah. Yes you got some good stuff. All righty. All right. Did you get to the Did you get to the musical I'm just number? Just gonna say yes. I got to the musical oh, number. God, so yeah. good. Okay. Uh, up next, uh, a man enlisted social media to get his wife to let him name their kid Goku. So Carlos Sanchez posted this. Uh, it's a, it's a picture of him. Holding a sign that says, my wife said if I get one million likes, I could name our son Goku. The article that you sent me on this was sent over from TV Overmind, which is a blog I've never heard of before. But the guy put it perfectly because he shows the picture of this guy. And uh, he says uh, it it looks like it has 1.4 million likes in this photo. So he got the likes that he wanted. And it says if you see the likes in the left-hand corner, then you'll know that there will be one Goku Sanchez walking the world someday if Carlos's <laughs> wife holds to her word. Thumbs up. I'm giving a thumbs down. Thumbs down. This poor guy's wife. What? <laughs> You're bringing the social media into your marriage? Like that's that that's just, just that's going to be my my hot take on that. You know what? Leave <laughs> you, d- debate this stuff with with within your couple, you know? The, nobody is going to be able to go up against the internet in a relationship and then yeah so anyway i just think that's you know keep it keep it under the household you know the that's the, fair. the poor poor it doesn't say what his wife's name is but poor Carlos's wife up next uh series some, of trailers we've yeah, got yeah series of trailers so we got another trailer for deadpool showing off cable played by josh mm-hmm. brolin I thought it was great. I think Cable looks great. I like Josh Brolin for the role. I was worried that he wouldn't be big enough, but he's definitely gruff enough and brings a physicality to the role that I'm excited about. Isn't Brolin also... uh, He's Thanos. Thanos. Yeah. Yeah, so he's kind of doing a... He's getting a twofer here from Marvel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So what did you think overall? I'm getting the thumbs up thing here. Yeah, definite thumbs up. I want to see more of Domino played by uh, Zazie Beetz. Yeah, who people might recognize from Atlanta. She plays Van in that show. Uh, so I'm going going a thumbs up on this one. I have concerns. It's a it's a little bit of an angled thumbs up, but um, my my concern is that we're just going to do an Iron Man two here, where they just we had a very popular film. Let's crank out a part two really quick, you know. And so I'm worried that it might not be as as great and it's just as funny as we want. I think but, that they've smartly carved out a space that is we're the R rated meta comic book movie. Yeah. 
Because the first one was filled to the brim with jokes about other comic book movies, and that's oh, yeah. exactly what this one will be. I hope it might it's not just be not... funny all the time because the first one definitely wasn't, and it probably won't be original in its storytelling either because yeah. the first one also wasn't. They go out of their way to make fun of the fact that he has a love interest, and then he ends up with his love interest at the yeah. end. Like, they'll make fun of the tropes while participating in them, but I think that they've smartly carved out a space to do this in that nobody was really taking advantage of, and Deadpool in particular is a good character to do this type of movie with. So not the only trailer that came out, Jessica Jones came out which is our next Marvel tele well Marvel Netflix show. I'm I'm thumbs down on this one mostly really? because I don't know enough about Jessica Jones to know what's being hinted at in this thing. Okay. It also doesn't look much more compelling than season 1 was for me, which I know that a lot of people really liked. Yeah. But it wasn't for me mostly because of the pace and it looks like this one is also going to be very slow so pacing has been a problem in marvel shows for me and not just jessica jones but other ones so scenes of people walking yeah i I agree with that i'm giving this one a thumbs up i am looking forward to it i also am not a jessica jones expert but i do get enough that she is uh going to go out there and trying to look into how she became who she is what is her history there's some sort of mystery there discovering who you are you've got you know it's definitely a noir again and i'm i'm all i'm all about that so uh thumbs up for jessica jones we sort of talked about solo the other trailer that kind of came out here obviously we're thumbs up on that ish uh, yeah i guess i'm thumbs up on that all right i want it to be good i had a lot of worries but this trailer just looks like a star wars movie all right. And I'm psyched for that because I like Star Wars movies. You, you, you ready to be? You ready to be disgruntled with me? Yeah. You ready to be set off? Mm-hmm. Just it's the sideways thumb. Yeah. I have no idea what to think about this. Like, there's intriguing stuff, but at the same time, I would have expected a little bit more Solo in a Han Solo trailer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's. I never mind. I'm putting it down now. My thumb's okay. gone down. All right. You All right. yourself out of it. All right. Up next, we also got a trailer for Venom, starring Tom Hardy and Michelle Williams. A reluctant thumbs up. In that it's curious, it doesn't look like a comic book movie. It doesn't look like a sci-fi or monster movie. It just looks like a thriller movie. And the what I do gather from it, it, it just looks like a I don't know another when they did Ghost Rider and they didn't pull it off. As far as I can tell, it's a, it's it's a Venom origin story. And Tom yeah. Hardy is doing another accent. He sounds like he's straight out of Queens. Yeah. But if you didn't know, I Marvel, feel like I'm mostly going to like this movie because I enjoy Tom Hardy just trying stuff okay. out. So I'm thumbs up on Venom. Next, Although we haven't actually seen Venom yet in the trailer. That's true. The, the Venom's not even in the trailer. Uh, the next story is something that I came across that I found hilarious. And it's a story that Old Spice has now invented its own playing class for Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, you can be like an elf, a half elf, a human dwarf. Mm-hmm. Old Spice has its own. It's called The Gentleman or, slash The Lady. And it is a comical version of essentially their uh, their spokesperson, an extremely overconfident person that has no reason to be confident. Guy, right? Yes, the I am on a horse guy is essentially that you're very confident, you smell lovely, um, obviously because you're using Old Spice, <laughs> and um, and everything you do apparently will make the dungeon master just go insane because your confidence defeats everything, you know. And so, but they actually worked within Dungeons and Dragons, and they. They've got your armor, your shield, like everything is just all set up to play Dungeons and Dragons as this class. I'm giving it a thumbs up because for for a few years now, people have been saying, you know, nerd culture is pop culture. Geek culture is now what we all watch. Marvel films, Star Wars, people that didn't watch Star Trek went to the J.J. Abrams films. So, like, we hit there, and I think we've hit this point now. It's like, yeah, if you are a major company... Granted, Old Spice is a little bit unique in their humor and marketing, but you're a major company, and now you are using Dungeons and Dragons as a marketing tactic, which is hilarious. But also, like that kind of sets a new like mark for us uh, to see like Dungeons and Dragons is now enough mainstream enough where you can actually have Old Spice make a plain class for it. That's just I don't know. Thumbs up. I think great marketing. I think I'm a thumbs down. Yeah. I'm a thumbs down mostly because this is just uh, this brand in general appeals to a crowd that is not playing Dungeons and Dragons, 
but has watched Stranger Things yeah. and enough Marvel movies that they're like, yeah, Dungeon Dragon, Dungeons and Dragons is cool now. Like this is this is for people who will say that they are playing Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. but aren't actually. Yeah, and for that reason, I thumbs down it. Okay, alrighty, alright, I will I, I will accept that. Finally, in uh, our quick up down, the Black Panther album is finally out, uh, curated and produced by Kendrick Lamar and Top Dog. Fantastic. It is you, so good. There are like you have heard eight it? good songs on it. Yeah, okay. I listened to the whole thing several times over now. Paramedics, probably my favorite one on there. X is really good. Um, there's one with Vince Staples on it. Travis Scott is on there. Uh, Big Shot is a really good song with Travis Scott on there. So much Kendrick Lamar. The beats are fantastic. The song with The Weeknd is the worst one. The uh, All the Stars, the song with Kendrick Lamar and SZA got extended. There's more SZA in it now, which is fantastic. Like, this is a very good album. So you are giving it a thumbs up? Way up. Okay. I I am um I am uh abstaining. Okay. Cuz I have not heard this album. Mm-hmm. Um I will say this and I've complained about this before with you. The only reason that I'm have a very like a positive hopeful outlook of this is because of your recommendation of your <laughs> word hearing it. Um cuz otherwise my only thing with this is like it's like when they had Batman, yeah. uh, when Joel this Schumacher came in. This has the potential to be in. incredibly corny, but it's not. Yeah, well, that's the thing is you're telling me it's good. You're really into it. I trust your opinion on this. I, however, like there's there's a point in which they just turn the mass marketing machine on, and that's what I get afraid of. That's the one thing that's made me like really kind of get a little bit nervous about Black Panther, even though like all the Rotten Tomato reviews are coming out now. It's insanely like good, but it was at 99 percent last time I checked. Yeah. Um, it's going up the lowest I think it's ever gotten is 97. It's been wavering up and down there, but like it's still that's phenomenally like Toy good. Story three territory. <laughs> so the but that's the thing is I don't I get a little bit nervous when the marketing machine overtakes the actual film. You know, like when you know it's the Star Wars thing essentially, where the toys become more important than the movie. Where it's more important that we make a Jar Jar Banks than we make a movie. It's more important that we have a Batman soundtrack with Seal on it, and you know you know shout out for having sunny day real estate on there but like you know we have we have like the album and that's more important in the videos and the hype machine is more important than the film because obviously joel schumacher can't make a film worth a damn yeah um but yeah so like that's the only thing that's made me a little bit you know nervous about it though i get it, that fear but imagine all the people you yeah. just mentioned were replaced by Ryan Coogler <laughs> and Kendrick Lamar. And all right, so that's much the thing. Better. Well, that's what we have. we have two things going for it. One, like Rotten Tomatoes out there. We've got a Nick Jarn coming out in in, in, in batting for this thing. <laughs> it's so already my number two Marvel movie. That's it hasn't a, even come out yet. Yes. All righty. So there we go. Uh, I have uh, we have an abstention. Then, and I think that if this had just come out as a Kendrick Lamar album, it would still be good, and that's why I'm really encouraged by it. Excellent. All right. So that's the up down. We'll see if we keep that name or not. Uh, coming up next, I'm excited for this one. Happy Valentine's Day again to everybody, by the way, because coming up next, Dar, you want to give us a little bit of an intro for this, actually? This is just, it's a little bit different than what you're, what we probably expect with a with a feature, but uh, what we're doing this week is we are taking your questions that I have fielded from our listeners. I have packaged them in a way and put them into some dating relationship experts that all come at this from different perspectives and angles. And we'll see what we come away with as far as any advice and insights they give us. Coming up after that, don't forget we have that interview with some members of the Seattle Police Department. There's a bunch of conventions coming up. So Dyer went down there and talked to them about cosplay, the rules around that. And uh, there's some there's some really golden highlights in that interview. Yeah. You're going to want to stick around for that after uh, this feature from Dyer. So I'm from Texas, and before moving to Seattle, my experience dating had always been really straightforward. This is my friend Cecilia, and I actually met her not long after she moved up to the Northwest, just a few years back. In fact, we both lived on boats near each other, and we both worked at the same newspaper for quite a while. And over this time, she's brought up this little peeve she has about the difficulty of dating in the Northwest. Guys from home were were open and honest and not afraid to be in a committed relationship. And as soon as I moved to Seattle, it became pretty clear that the people that I was at least surrounded by were not interested in anything that was committed and just not a 
clear on what they wanted out of life. Now, I hate to put this all on Cecilia. She's actually not the only person I've talked with about this issue or some kind of dating woe related to it. At least some call it an issue, others just call it normal, but that's the thing, isn't it? It seems obvious to say, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Dating and relationships are hard. And that's before you even layer on the whole Northwest scene or geek culture for our purposes. This week, we're gonna do something a little different. We asked you, our Northwest nerd listeners, to send us your relationship and dating questions. Now, they can be about Seattle, like Cecilia's, or just about dating around geek culture in general. In full disclosure, I have taken what you've sent us and I've crafted them into a few queries. I've edited them for clarity and brevity, and we have put them to what I like to call a panel of perspectives, mostly because I'm a fan of alliteration. But these are three people coming at these questions from different angles. So to get started, let's get some introductions. Hey, my name's Stacy Rost, and I do a podcast with G. Scott and Maura Dooley called Living Single Seattle. It's just a dating podcast. It's pretty short and quick. It's actually turned into mostly telling horror stories, but I promise it's not all that bad. All right, I am Jay Edidon. I consult on and write codes of conduct and harassment policies and consult on the creation of those and the implementation around them for conventions. I've also done a lot of coverage of those and sort of why they work and how they need to work as a journalist. Jay has also worked for years in the comic book industry. And finally... Hey, I'm Harris O'Malley. I write for uh, Paging Dr. Nerd Love, a dating advice blog for geeks of all stripes who are looking to improve their social skills and date more successfully. For starters, let's begin with Cecilia's observation. You know, even now I'm in a committed relationship with someone who actually isn't from Seattle, which is not a surprise to me. But, um, you know, our friends, a lot of our friends are, you know, 35 to 45, maybe even older. And, you know, you still hear this, like, I'm still trying to figure out what I want out of life. And I just don't, I don't get it. Seattle in general, it's, it is hard to meet people. Let me tell you, like, I don't know if it's just the culture of people that are here. Seattle freeze. Yeah, Seattle freeze. And uh, so yeah, there is a cultural difference. And I personally agree with this person and that I'm not a fan of it. It's and it's one that makes dating difficult. As far as pushing out marriage, I do think Seattle's full of a lot of college students, grad students, people immersed in tech jobs. I would wager that people that fall into those categories get married a bit later. Uh, I live with two women, both of whom one is 29, one is 28. Neither of them are looking at marriage anytime soon. Uh, as far as guys, I would just kind of guess that it's tough in the tech community that people aren't really getting married that early. Some of this is going to be gross overgeneralization. Tech culture and a lot of the industries and businesses that draw people to the Pacific Northwest are ones where your primary focus, especially as a young adult and especially coming into the industries, is expected to be on your job and professional advancement. So the stuff that the guys you're used to have had time to figure out and engage with based on the shapes of their lives are ones that I think folks in the Seattle area aren't going to have prioritized development in initially. At the same time, Seattle is a really expensive city. I know a lot of people there who lead relatively grown-up lives but haven't been able to really afford or look at their lives in context of a lot of what we think of as normal adult milestones like buying a home or considering having kids. Depending on where you are in Texas, there's a lot of uh, a lot of cultural pressure to, hey, you know, partner up and settle down early. And depending on where you go, especially on the coast, you're more likely to find people who have decided, you know what, I'm going to take some time to get my life in order before I feel like I'm ready to have a long-term relationship. And it may well be that the guys out in Seattle are still trying to get themselves feeling a little bit more established, especially if you're in the tech industry, for example, there can be a lot of times where it feels like you don't have the time to date. And other times it may well be that you're there. She's running into people who are still trying to kind of figure out who they are. We are in a weird transitional period in like American culture 
where a lot of the rules and guidelines that guided how we were supposed to grow up and how we we're supposed to live have been completely tossed out the window. And we're all trying to figure out what the new rules are and what the best practices are. But it's also dating is a numbers game and it's always going to be a numbers game. Some people get really lucky and they hit the jackpot right off. But more often than not, you're just going to have to date around for a while and find the people who are right for you. Moving on, next question. How do you date within a small community, like the cosplay community? I have an ex in the cosplay community, and sometimes I run into them. They weren't kind to me at the end of the relationship, but we still share friends and connections. It is difficult to be part of that cosplay crowd now. Now, on the other hand, I took photos with someone, and their ex, who was a friend of mine, got mad at me. How do I handle this? Again, back to Stacy Rost, Jay Edidin, and Harris O'Malley, a.k.a. Dr. Nerdlove. I think even back to like when you're in school and there's cliques and everyone in that clique dates together, it can be such a messy situation to do that. I, I probably would accept this as a lesson learned, and um, I understand the desire to date within the community given that it's a very like niche interest. At the same time, it becomes really, really difficult. And uh, you don't want to ruin that community for yourself. It's like a don't bite the hand that feeds you kind of thing. Like you don't want to get in a relationship that becomes so messy that you've you've ruined this safe space for yourself. This, this one I know well because I work in the comics industry and it is wildly incestuous. So um, if you're going to date within a small community, there are some things that you have to kind of take as givens. And one of them is that you will probably continue to interact directly or indirectly with your ex or exes. And that's probably going to include seeing them date other people whom you might also know. I'm not saying this has to be easy or perfectly saying when there's a concept that I really like called acceptable discomfort, which is saying, you know, just because something's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's fundamentally always to be avoided, but it's important to know what your discomfort threshold is. Um, be really upfront about your boundaries and expectations learn to compartmentalize, um, be able to have cosplay time be cosplay time and relationship time be relationship time. So I work with my ex. Um, he is my professional partner. We were married for 11 years. We are not married anymore. We continued to work together as we were splitting up. And it was incredibly, incredibly difficult. And it's it's still sometimes difficult. But the thing that lets us do that is that we have very specific boundaries on what we do in professional contexts and spaces. So ultimately, you know, there are pros and cons. There is no easy, this is how you do it and make it work answer. It's basically a question of looking at the pitfalls and figuring out which ones it's worth it for you to have to navigate, to have access to both of those things you want. If it's really small and relatively insular, like it's a group that you, the only group that you can really date in for whatever reason, you don't necessarily have the ability to just completely cut someone out of your life and forget they exist because you're going to run into them occasionally. Uh, I live in Austin, and for as large of a city as it is, it's also incredibly small, and everybody seems to be connected to everybody else. So we talk a lot around here about the six degrees of Austin where you find out that everybody you dated is probably going to be connected as everybody else you've ever dated. So you kind of have to walk the line of, all right, the odds I'm going to run into my ex or whomever or that we're going to have friends in common is tricky. And there are no easy answers. I would say whenever possible ending a relationship, try to end it with as much grace and as much courtesy and as little unnecessary pain as possible. That can't always be done. But also you kind of have to, everybody kind of has to agree that, all right, we're going to see each other at some point. We don't need to be friends. We don't need to be, you know, buddy-buddy or really happy to see each other, but we at least need to agree to be polite and civil about it. Moving on. Every year, four weeks leading up to Emerald City Comic Con, or any other con, my husband becomes a, quote, con widow, unquote. He's not into conventions or cosplay. He has video games to keep him company during this time. But I'd still like to have time with him. I keep asking my husband to come to Emerald City Comic Con with me for one day. But it's not his scene. 
He did compromise and come to a smaller convention with me, and he's helping me make a prop, which is a huge thing of trust. In the other direction, I share passions with him. But I want more, and I want to share my passion with someone that I love. Any advice? I do think it's a really loving move that he's helping with the prop, that he came to a smaller convention. It's not that he doesn't support this passion. So it's heading in the right direction. You're you're in a good place, but I completely understand wanting someone to love something as much as you love it. Um, if you always do everything that he wants to do, I mean, it depends. Do you like the things that he has to do? You know, like if you hate all of his passions, but you do them anyways, it's time to have a conversation and say like, hey, I feel like I give up a lot and I really, really appreciate that you're helping me with this prop and I recognize it as a sign of support. It would mean so much to me if you showed up for just a few hours to this convention. I would love to see you there. I would feel so supported. I think if you like doing the stuff that he likes to do, though, it's it's almost an unfair argument to say like, well, he likes barbecuing and I like barbecuing. You know, who doesn't? First of all, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to want. So one thing I notice right away is that when you talk about trying to introduce your husband to conventions and to cosplay, you're doing it mostly through the things that are your focuses. Um, you describe him as helping you make a prop as, as, and I'm quoting here, a huge thing of trust. You know, you're basically helping with him. You're basically functioning as a sidekick. So what you're kind of asking your husband to do here is, is tag along with you, not really to find a way to care about this himself. So the first thing I would do Look for places where he might find things that he likes in conventions and understand that he might not exactly align with the things that you like and want. It is possible that, you know, your husband is going to do his best, you're going to do your best, and this isn't going to turn out to be his thing long term. I am a big fan of something called parallel play, and that is when people each do their own thing, but they do their own things together. So something I would look at is what you might be able to tweak in your shared spaces or schedules or activities so that you could be together and interact even when you're doing separate things. When you're working on a costume and he's playing video games, for instance, is there a way that you can set up your workspace and his gaming space so that there's overlap and more contact so that you can be having conversations so that you can be making physical contact while you're doing those different things? As much as it's good to have a lot of like mutual passions in common, be able to geek out over the same things, that's not always going to be practical. That's not always going to happen. Um, my wife is really into British dramas and stuff like The Crown. And it's for me, it's interesting. It's like, oh, hey, it's Matt Smith. I, I'll, you know, I'll watch for five minutes, pretend he's the doctor and then move on. But then again, I'm really into comics. She's not so much into them either. And I go to my cons and she does not. She stays here. And we just have our separate lives and our separate things. We uh, when we can, we try to indulge. If, you know, if we can't necessarily share our passions, we'll try to indulge our passions around each other. So if you're if, um, you know, the person in question is working on a costume or working on props for their costume, then maybe not necessarily retreat into wherever they would normally be working on it, but be working on it with the, with in the same room with their husband so they can continue on a conversation while they're doing it. And it may also be useful to uh, find things at Emerald City or at some of the other smaller cons that would appeal specifically to them. So if there is a convention that has a video game track or has panels that might be specifically about video games or about something uh, tangential to video games, then that might be something that he would be interested in coming to for that one day. Or they might compromise and go to something like uh, PAX because then a video game specific convention would give that give the letter writer a, a a chance to do the cosplay that they really enjoy, and then the husband would be able to do some like see what the new video games are coming out, meet some of the developers, meet some of the people in the games industry or the games journalism industry. A thank you to our panelists who have a lot more to say about nerds about dating, about relationships, among other things. You see, I asked a lot more questions of these three, and it ran much longer than what this story allotted for. So this is what we're going to do. During the week of Emerald City Comic Con, we will have some special bonus episodes coming out, just some stuff for you to listen to while you're walking the floor, and one of which will be some more time with Stacy, Jay, and Harris. We're going to talk about dating apps, 
relationships in a tech industry town, and a lot more. So stay tuned. Thanks to Harris O'Malley, a.k.a. Dr. Nerdlove, Stacey Rost, Jay Edditon, and Cecilia Garza for uh, helping Dyer out with that piece there. Coming up next, I imagine a lot of you out there in uh, Northwest Nerdland are preparing to cosplay at conventions that are coming up in the next few weeks and months here, which, by the way, another shameless plug, March 2nd, we're having our uh, cosplay contest at the Raygun Lounge. You can sign up right now. By going to our Facebook event page, you can find it by searching for NW Nerd Podcast on Facebook, and then that'll be right up near the top there. We are going to cap the entries because uh, interest has been pretty high, so make sure that you go and register as soon as possible if you want to take part in that. Excellent prizes again. Excellent judges as well. Very excited about the people we're working with. All right, where was I? Okay. Uh, So speaking of cosplay, Dyer sat down with some members of the Seattle police to talk about their role as these conventions hit town and uh, people are walking around with fake weapons, uh, wearing outlandish things that you wouldn't see on any other day, and uh, who you should call and what happens when uh, you forget your homemade lightsaber where you shouldn't forget it. A while ago, I got to speak with Jonah Spangenthal-Lee, Detective Patrick Michaud, and Sergeant Sean Whitcomb, with the Seattle Police Department. Between the three of them, they not only make up a small Star Wars fan club, but they also have a few insights on navigating this convention environment, which they relate here in a Northwest Nerd exclusive. Well, check the convention's website, because they often have their own. Each convention tends to have its own standards. Some allow weapons if you put a you know, bright orange, orange yeah, thing on it. Some have different rules about clothing and um, but I think all of them you know now have very clear guidelines on being respectful to other people and their bodies at conventions. From the police perspective I mean have you guys encountered this because there's there's always like the worst horror story of they saw a fake gun and and somebody shot and so how do you guys I guess deal with that? Well I can remember remember being out on patrol when Comic-Con came through and every hour Pretty much, they would do a reminder on radio. Hey, look, we've got a convention going on downtown. You might see people with weapons if they're dressed up like a Star Wars character. They're probably heading to the convention. Um, so it, it, they continuously remind officers that, hey, yeah, this is going on. Just be aware of it, and it should all be fine. Um, and then... There's not really that much to worry about. Most of the people in Seattle know when these conventions are happening anyways. We're all fairly well connected to the convention scene here. Um, it makes sense that even the cops kind of get it. And you'll see photos of them on social media at the conventions, enjoying what's going on around them in uniform, out of uniform, just having a good time. Yeah, just so. the same as everybody else. I know this guy was a Sith Lord, I think, this year, right? I, I was a Sith Lord. And uh, I did enjoy Comic-Con. True story, we had a service interruption in the King County bus tunnel. What was that, three years ago? Three years ago. Three years ago. Um, Because there was a suspicious device. It was a metal cylinder. And people uh, believed it might be a pipe bomb. But instead, investigation revealed that it was, in fact, someone's lightsaber. So homemade lightsaber. Is there is there another one? Did it have the crystal in it? I, I didn't. I, ABS took it. I didn't get to play with it. I don't know. <laughs> well, um, it was homemade as opposed to the uh, two purchased ones you have at your desk. I don't have time to make my own lightsaber. <laughs> I'm not a, a, a lightsaber craft person. Is it, is it person. a time issue or a skill issue? Well, I, I think the, the gloves have been taken off I was about and to say. Yeah. thrown on the ground and actually one of them hit me square in the face. Um, so I will I will make a lightsaber for Mr. Spangenthal Lee for God, the next podcast. It's a glow stick. It, it might include aluminum foil. <laughs> um, so you guys had that service interruption though. And the, yeah, it's a real deal. A service interruption, bomb squad call out, um, delays in the tunnel. And it was because in you know today's day and age, see something, say something, you know, 
Yeah, we don't take chances with public safety, and, and no one should. And anytime you see something that is out of place, that is suspicious, that resembles a device um, that might inflict um, injury or death, we are going to do what we need to do with the bomb squad, with the robot, to render everything safe. And in this case, yeah, sure, as a lightsaber. And you know, maybe it was lost, discarded, stolen, what have you. We're always, we're always on the lookout. Another thing about uh, convention etiquette and the police, public nudity in Seattle is not illegal. So there might be rules at the convention that are going to prohibit it, as Joan and Patrick mentioned. Check the rules, always a good idea. But if you are just naked, that is not against the law. Being nude all by itself is not a law violation, and nor would you expect to be investigated by the police. It's the conduct that someone might um, perform while nude that would result in a criminal investigation. So if you are nude and then um, acting in a way that is sexually suggestive, um, that is harassing, um, that would cause reasonable people to be concerned or alarmed. Um, so like for instance, we've got a bicycle group that likes to ride naked and right? you've got the solstice parade. Yeah. It's, it's just, hey, this is Seattle, right? Um, so that's that's fine, but when you show up to like a children's playground and you like, you know, you're wearing a trench coat and then you flash everybody, that's more than just being naked. You're going to get arrested for indecent exposure. If you are um, touching yourself in a way you shouldn't be in public, you're going to get arrested. Um, but if you just happen to be naked, going from point A to point B, people might say, "Well, that's." hadn't seen that before or recently or that was unexpected but it's not against the law it's the behavior that makes something criminal so if people are wearing something suggestive or partially revealing um, that would in some people's opinion be interpreted as nudity don't call us because it's not against the law if you're concerned that someone's violating convention rules let a staff person know but don't don't bring us into it it's not a law violation to be nude or partially nude. Indecent exposure requires additional behavior that is offensive. Like nude and singing Nickelback. That, one. that, that is offensive. I'm, you don't I'm have an have, argument. I'm gonna have nightmares. Yeah. I'm not gonna sleep for a week. Nude Nickelback. Nude Nickelback, that's yeah. A, that's a new, new cover band. All right, so I think if we learned anything from that, it's that number one, don't leave your homemade lightsaber somewhere. People will think it's a bomb. And uh, number two, the convention will probably be more helpful than the police since a lot of things are legal to do, but not necessarily yeah. in line with convention rules. And convention rules uh, caused some uh, some heat with a convention coming up this weekend, actually, over in the Tri-Cities. Yeah, so we got RadCon coming up on February 16th this weekend, and that's like the Tri-Cities convention. It's like a sci-fi mm -hmm. convention convention straw cosplayers and let's relate this directly to the to the spd conversation that we just had um spd said it's not it's not illegal to be naked however about like two years ago i was at emerald city comic-con and somebody was did a mystique thing and i will say that they were body paint like it was someone was naked with paint you yeah. know and and i know there's just a debate like in the movies i know that there's a debate about that being like oh no no it's 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 actually costume it's glued on or painted on and other people will disagree with that i'm not here to get into that but <laughs> somebody complained and there was security bringing them a robe that they had to wear she was not happy she was this would never happen at san diego and well then and, and that, that seems like a lot of work to just be covering up as well yeah that well that's the thing too is yeah. uh Costume, no costume, that's hard to do. Mm -hmm. So um, this person obviously put a lot of work into it. I'm sure they were not happy about it. Yet, then last year, somebody was also in body paint, and I didn't see them getting a robe um, put on them mm. anyway. But point being, um, there has been a conversation at RadCon exactly of where the line is for their dress code, and it sparked a heated debate on their Facebook page, on their Facebook group page, People aren't happy because they changed the dress code, which one now seems there's there's two little prongs that we can put on this. And I'll handle the first one first and see if I can be succinct. 
it seems that maybe some folks view this as too restrictive because maybe this could even mean guys have to have a shirt. Like you can't go as He-Man because He-Man doesn't have a shirt. Yeah. The other thing could be maybe they are regulating cleavage even to the point and and any everybody could you could walk around with a ruler. Power, let's see, you can name them off. Power Girl, um any female Pretty much in, like, superhero that's been drawn by a guy over the last yeah. yeah, exactly. Wonder Woman. Uh, so that's the thing. It's like we have uh them saying I think uh the dress code is like, you know, if you have a conservative bathing suit, think about that. Um, so now we have this issue of them saying, okay, this costume, this cosplay that you're really into, none of that. Um, they had issues in the past, as I understand it, with like people just coming up with lingerie and having that be their cosplay. And so there's these overly sexualized costumes. Um, and this is all I should probably mention, as it has been described to me by somebody who is involved heavily with the Radcon scene, but is not an official organizer of it. They are just involved with the people who are. So I don't want to name them and call them out, but this is who's given me a little bit of insight. Hopefully we'll be talking to an organizer um, soon. The other issue about this that adds just this whole other layer to this, Radcon has as it been dis- Radcon, as it has been described to me, has this tongue-in-cheek, don't-be-a-pinhead, uh, like, jokey-type thing, and maybe that's the angle they were going for when they put on their new dress code the line, just don't come dressed like a prostitute. That has not... And they ru- use that specific They use word. that specific phrasing. That's not rubbed... That has rubbed people the wrong way. That you can... We have everything from uh, slut-shaming to uh, essentially just regulating people's freedom of speech, which clothing can be considered freedom of speech, to, to just everything. There's also might be like a disconnect between the organizers and the security because even though the organizers have a dress code in years past, the security have kind of interpreted it their way and had people not had people cover up beca- um, when they probably shouldn't have been. Um, they've had issues of harassment in the past, which brings in a whole other question in there. That was one of the questions I asked. Here's an example of it. Um, you have people being harassed because of dress. Therefore, why would you regulate the dress uh, and the cosplay? Why wouldn't you regulate the harassers, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the cosplay not consent issue. So, and that's the thing is, I don't know the exact background or insight in that. I don't know enough about it as it is. I just know that right now in the Tri-Cities, this conversation's going on Enough to the point where some some of them are even saying, don't go to the convention anymore because we don't want to put up with this. Um, this is a conversation we have at conventions in the geek community a lot. We've all gone to, con- like I said, I went to Emerald City Comic Con and there was body paint. I've been to, I think it was Portland and someone came in lingerie. Mm-hmm. And these are the cosplays that they're doing. Some people I've talked to that are actually into cosplay um, do not support that kind of stuff and other people are uh, totally fine with it and they they could care less and there's a whole conversation that happens in between that spectrum so just part of why we're putting together a roundtable for this exact very topic um it'll be in the weeks after radcon since that's coming up this yes. weekend but definitely a flashpoint for this conversation and a good time of year to have it as well since this is kind of when a bunch of the conventions are right. happening including the big one for this area, Emerald City Comic Con, coming exactly. up uh, the first weekend of Sakura March. Sakura Con's coming up shortly yeah. after that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like. Which is even bigger for cosplay. Renton City Comic Con just had a kick off the cons party. The season is starting. So mm-hmm. um, we're bringing this here because this is a news point. This is a conversation we've all had, but now it's kind of come to a head over in Eastern Washington. So um, just kind of throwing it out there. Also, if you have insights, you know, throw it uh, at us on Twitter or Facebook or, or email us. Um, and let us know maybe some things that we should be asking if we do put together a panel, um, things that we should be discussing um, that we wouldn't really know. Uh, Nick doesn't cosplay as much. I don't cosplay as much. Um, we come at this from a, a perspective of part of the reason why I fell in love with going to conventions was seeing all of the cosplayers who are so excited about yeah. this stuff that they decided to put in all of this work to look like the characters that we all love. When I see someone dressed up like SG-1, I, love seeing that. Yeah. I freak out because nobody gives Stargate as much love. So like, I, I will freak out, yeah. Um, and yeah, so this, I guess we're bringing this out there just to put it on people's radar. This is a conversation that's happening. I have a feeling that just like cosplay is not consent, 
uh, happened as a conversation um, that needed to happen because it was a, a reaction to some stuff that was going on. Mm-hmm. This is another conversation in the same ballpark of cosplay that's also going to have a conversation of, you know, RadCon promotes itself as a family-friendly event. So how does that play into, uh, you know, sexually um, oriented costumes and things like that? And they have a rave at the end of the night, which I think is an adult-oriented rave. Um, But, yeah, I mean, how does it... How does this all kind of play together when, you know, fandom doesn't have an age group, but some people are going to come at it from this angle and be an adult. Some people are going to come at it from this angle and be family friendly. And then the rest of us are just going to come and be happy we saw Deadpool. So, you know, conversations happening. Stay tuned and hopefully we'll have a a roundtable for you soon. Thank you again to all of our guests this week and to Kevin McLeod for the Music and Dyers feature this week as well. Big thank you also to the Hoot Hoots for our awesome theme music, which you can hear right now and in every episode of Season 2. Coming up next week, you know we had to do this. Our roundtable uh, coming up next week will be all about the guaranteed smash hit Black Panther, Tim Hall, a.k.a. the People's Critic at the Seattle PI, and that guy named John from About to Review will join Dyer and I And I can't wait. I can't even remember the last time I was this excited about a movie. Thus concludes episode 18 of season two of the Northwest Nerd Podcast. We'll be back in a week with that Black Panther Roundtable episode. So we'll see you next week, nerds. Oh, my God. He did the screenplay for Troy as well. Was Troy even a good movie? I recently rewatched it, like in thirty-minute installments. Like, uh, I kept on joking that it was like I was in history class. Like you the come Brad in and like Pitt one, right? you watch it for a while, and then you're like, okay, we're gonna pause here. We'll come back tomorrow, Nick. You're gonna recap what happened last time we were watching the movie. Yeah, Achilles was being a d- to Agamemnon. 